Welcome to Learning with Learner, where we embark on a transformative journey of knowledge and personal growth. I'm Lindsay Lerner, your dedicated host and guide as we delve into the depths of unconventional wisdom. Together, we'll explore the stories and insights of remarkable trailblazers who have forged their own paths. Brace yourselves for thought-provoking conversations, profound insights, and eye-opening experiences. Our mission is to challenge the norm, ignite curiosity, and empower you to embrace your unique journey. This is Learning with Learner. Welcome to Learning with Learner. On today's episode, we have a true expert in the realm of live production. Meet Luke Meek, a seasoned front of house audio engineer and production manager. With over 15 years of touring experience, Luke has graced stages in all 50 states and over 35 countries. From coordinating NFL halftime performances to captivating audiences in iconic venues like Radio City Music Hall, Luke's expertise truly knows no bounds. He's also a published author and blogger, sharing insights on efficiency and professionalism in the industry. And when he's not on tour or writing, Luke takes flight as a private pilot. Get ready for an awe-inspiring episode as we explore the world of live production with the incredible Luke Meek. Welcome, Luke. Thank you so much for making the time to be here. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. As we embark on uh, this enlightening hopefully enlightening conversation. <laughs> Let's begin. Enlightening, absolutely. <laughs> Let's begin with your roots. Can Let's you enlighten. <laughs> right? <laughs> can, <laughs> can you take us back to where you grew up? Yeah, born and raised in Iowa. I was there for the first 20 years of my life or so, and then I went to audio school in Minneapolis. And then I was in back in Iowa for chunky years. Bounced around a bit. After Iowa, I went to Denver, and then I went back to Iowa, and that's when I started touring with the band for the first time. And then LA for 12 years, uh, LA to now Nashville. So all these like pretty big, super brief, (laughs) pretty big music cities. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, honestly, especially where I went to audio school in Minneapolis, I mean, what an amazing place for music, you know, the kind of the heart of the, the Midwest stuff. So, uh, it was a great place to be for what I was going to to school for and you know everything everything i've done in my career in my life all stems from the midwest you know born and raised in iowa and minnesota and stuff so like it doesn't seem especially iowa doesn't seem like the place you'd get a, a start in this kind of a career but it worked totally well i mean minneapolis i i don't know if all of our listeners know how embedded music especially live music is in in minneapolis if you want to shed a little light on that yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I guess, yeah, being from the Midwest and so close, uh, it just seems natural to me. But obviously there's Prince, you know, and he kind of shed a, a bigger light on it. But there's a tons of bands from there. Uh, a lot of funk stuff, especially like Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis stuff, who produced a bunch of Janet Jackson stuff. All the Prince, this, you know, the whole Prince side of things, like Prince and the time. And But there's a lot of other stuff too, you know, Soul Asylums from there. I think Husker Du, I think they're from there even. So like a huge music scene to this day. I mean, Nashville, for example, is one of those places where you can go, like they always say, you go to any bar, any night of the week, and there's just amazing studio musicians that are just killing it. And Minneapolis is kind of the same way with like that funk scene, I mean. And they're just amazing players, you know, like just go see 
uh, I wish I could remember some of the names of some of the bands. There's just like funk bands from Minneapolis that have been around forever and the players kind of come and go based off who's on tour and who's not and who's in town and, and whatever. But, you know, like amazing people like, you know, Michael Bland, who's an amazing drummer. He's played with Prince and just that's just one example of them. so many. And, you know, I have some good friends that are touring guys now that are from that scene. And it's yeah, it's pretty legendary. Were you in bands growing up or did you always want to be behind the scenes? What was the energy there? Funny thing. I do not play an instrument at all. I, <laughs> you know, I took a little music stuff when I was in middle school and stuff sure. like I played trumpet for a few years and mm-hmm. then, uh, that didn't really come with anything. And then that's honestly it. I, so yeah, to answer your question, I always, you know, behind the scenes was it for me because, you know, I really got in, I, I was like a huge music fan as a kid, which I think a lot of people are, but. I really loved it. And so when I was going to community college after high school, I was like, well, I got to figure out what I'm going to do pretty soon. And so I was just brainstorming, like, what can I do that doesn't involve a cubicle and a nine to five job? And I was like, well, I love music. Maybe I could work in a recording studio. And so that's how I kind of got the idea of of getting into audio and, and the entertainment side of things. But honestly, you know, my my studies were primarily recording studio based with like each semester had like one live sound related class. And then I got out of audio school and went back to Iowa for a while. And it's like, well, there was a lot more venues, you know, live music venues than recording studios. So I kind of by default made the transition because I just wanted to do something on audio. And so that's how I, you know, I started working in clubs and stuff. But yeah, to answer your question, I know I don't, I never played anything really. I'm not a musician. I don't consider myself very very creative in that that side of the world so it just it was my way to be in around entertainment without being a musician myself and honestly it's not my world like i i don't know i'm not super good in front of a bunch of people so the idea of getting on stage and doing that is like so (laughs) behind the scenes is good for me yeah no i that resonates definitely resonates i get that and so when you were in school was there any like career path was there anyone pushing you in a certain direction saying hey test this out test that out or did you say screw it and that's where you meant that's where you made the jump to go to LA honestly in audio like when I was in school there wasn't you know that the the teachers would kind of like guide you a little bit and say oh you should try this or that but my school civilly didn't have much of a like placement program at all so it's kind of on your own and the teachers definitely promoted a lot the, the idea of like the hustle and like the, you know, internship and that kind of stuff. But everything, everything was on my own. I mean, school never did any kind of placement or help there, which is like I said, that's kind of why I started working in studios. I did a couple like internships in, in studios and stuff, but it was hard because my hometown specifically didn't have much for studios. There was one there and I did go there a little bit, but again, I think like it wasn't intriguing enough to me. And then I got, so I didn't really work that hard at the studio stuff. And then once I got a, a job, an actual job that paid me, not very much, but paid me to be a front of house audio guy in this small, like 400 cap club, then I was like, oh, this is, yeah, this is fun. And I think I, I didn't realize at the time, but I've learned since then of like, I like the instant gratification of live sound as well over a studio, like studio, you, know, you, you might do the same four bars of a song a hundred times. So you get it right. And like lifestyle is like, fix it, change it, do what you got to do, move on, next song, next show, next day, next city, you know, like all that. And I like the instant gratification of like, 
the hustle, you know? Oh, totally. Oh, I love that. I've never, never thought about it like that. Yeah. That's definitely, it, that's it for me is like, you're not, you're not dwelling on anything too long. You just, you go. Oh, totally. And so what is, what was that like going from, you know, this 400 cap venue in Iowa to, you know, now you've been 35 different countries, every damn state, <laughs> all of these diverse, you know, cultural landscapes. How has that influenced your approach over the years? Man, again, like I take it all back to the Midwest and like that small, like that's so much of in the heart of me and what I am. It's like, you know, I come from a small town. I come from a small club, I, you know, and it, but everything stemmed from there. You know, the first band I ever toured with, I met because I, they would come through that club and, you know, I became friends with those guys over the years. And then when it, uh, I had been living in Denver for a while, it's like, I, I, I was getting that itch to, to get out and travel more. And I told them, you know, like, I think I'm going to start touring or something. And then they were like, well, we need somebody. So you want to come with us? You know, that was a small town, small clubs, it, everything I have. That's been the jumping off point for everything, including my desire to tour and travel and see the world. Because when you come up in a town of 25,000 people, you know, not, no disrespect to it because it's where I'm from, but I needed more. You know, I wanted to see more. And, I, and it just, you know, I love where I'm from, but I also love getting out and seeing culture and, and all that too. So in a way that inspired me to tour just as much as the big cities. And then once I got out to the big cities, more and more, or, you know, just travel in general. It's just like, oh, there's so much to see. And then once you start seeing stuff, you're like, oh, I want to see more. You know? <laughs> yeah. And what was it like with that first band? And for, obviously, you and I met because of the music industry. We both have backgrounds in the music industry and touring. And so I'm very intimately familiar with all the triumphs and tragedies of being on the road. But for listeners who may not know, if you could shed a little bit of light on, you know, what it was like with that first band that you hit the road with yeah from day one it was amazing and actually let's let's connect those dots too because we met through our friend mutual friend jason wallsmith who was in the notice who was the first band that i ever toured with so that's how that all circles back but um yeah i mean literally from day one i get on the road it's like oh yeah this is what's up you know because when i lived in denver i was doing live production stuff full-time but it was more like corporate events and stuff like that and which was great at the time, but I really just wanted to be around music. I didn't want to be around big keynote speaking events. And so I wanted to be around music and, and just mix bands all the time. So that was a big part of it for me. It's like, finally, you know, I'm doing live shows and live music. And then, yeah, I mean, right from the get-go, when I moved back to Iowa to work with the Nadas, they were just putting out a new album. So we were on a, you know, we, they were on a new touring cycle, new album cycle. So we, you know, we went within the first couple of months, I started working and we were, we hit both coasts. And, but, you know, at that point I had traveled a little bit, but not that much. I mean, I was seeing most of everything that they took me to for the first time in my life. And I was like, yes, this is what I've been waiting for. This is what I went to school for. This is my time, you know, and finally let's do this. And I, you know, back then, especially I was young, I had no ties. I was like, let's just go. Like, I, let's go for six months. I don't care, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. So it was amazing. And it definitely... <laughs> That continued to set the tone and the pace for everything else I did for the next decade, for sure. But, you know, up to this point still, you know, again, like it all, there's foundations, you know, back, I think we don't realize, but a lot of, you know, early in our careers, in our lives, it's, you're so much setting the foundation for what's to come. And you don't realize the time, you're just doing what you can to hustle and have a good time. But 
yeah, so much stuff stems from those times in my life. And it definitely like once I got out of got out of town, out of the state, out of the country, every time those milestones hit, I was like, Yeah, this is awesome. Let's do more of this. You know? I really loved it. Could you explain a little bit about those differences? I know you mentioned it between, you know, you have this skill set of being in live production, which means you can set up every single audiovisual need that you could ever imagine having. But the difference, to your point earlier, of setting that up for a corporate keynote speaker in an office versus using that same skill set for something that you're passionate about, which is live music. And typically one pays a little bit more than the other (laughs) as well. So how did you balance that over the years? Yeah, I mean... Again, like it's such a different world, but I learned so much during those few years I was in Denver doing corporate stuff. I mean, you know, I learned a lot about audio, but because this was a, you know, a full, the the production company I worked for was a full, full, you know, they did everything, lighting, audio, video, backline, power. I mean, I would be, sometimes I would do gigs where I was just like at a, some like city festival. We were just the power provider. And so I learned so much about that. And so you know, at the end of the day, production is production, of course. So I think the difference being in the corporate world, it would be like, not only does it have to look real nice and sound real nice, but it's like visually, like it has to look good visually, meaning not like the lighting and sound, but like it has to all be black drape and like you have to dress real nice and these kind of things, you know, and it's, but it's very cool. I mean, there's, there's so much to be learned from, from every aspect of it. And you know, and then from there you can cherry pick what applies to the, to the live music industry, and get rid of what doesn't, and you know maybe bring some things that most people don't bring to the live music industry. Bring some of those things you like, like the visual and like the, the visual aspects of making it look nice, make your stage look nice, whatever sure. it may be. You know, the professionalism. And yeah, the, the exactly <laughs> the professionalism because the the rock and roll world is is much, you know, it's a lot more carefree and right. whatever and. In the corporate world, you yeah, you have to be more professional because it's definitely more of a, a client thing. Where in the rock and roll world and the production, you know, music and pop music, it's just like it's all just road road guys and and road road people, I should say, because there's all genders at this point. Uh, but yeah, so it's like I definitely brought a, or you know, personally, I brought a lot of that, learned a lot, and brought a lot of that professionalism over to what I do on the touring side as well, for sure. That's super interesting. I'm also curious about, you know, production in general is always something, and we talked about it earlier, that's behind the scenes. And people, at least in my experience, don't tend to notice unless it's not good. <laughs> so if, you, if you're doing a good job, whether it's at a corporate gig or you're on the road doing front of house for a live band, literally no one knows you exist unless shit hits the fan. So for you, how have you balanced that that feeling of you know feeling like you've done a good job feeling like you're doing the right thing and staying motivated to do this for all these years when and at least in my experience credit is usually not ever given <laughs> mhm it's hit and miss for sure because you're right if you're doing things right it doesn't get noticed so yeah that's interesting i mean i think i go into it 
um, we're coming back to our roots a lot more than I expected today. But like, again, I go back to like, I'm from Iowa, that whole Midwest work ethic is really a thing. And so to me, it's always been about like, as long as I go in and I know that I've done the best that I can, and I've done a good job, I don't know, this is our job. This is what we do. I don't necessarily need a pat on the back. It is good. Once in a while, you do need a little affirmation that what you're doing is good and appreciated. But I don't, me personally, I don't need much of that. Like, to me, it's like, you know, for example, if you're touring with a band and they hire you back for the next tour, that's your affirmation of like, you did good. We're, that's why we're bringing you back. Because if you didn't do good, you wouldn't be here. So I think that that's part of it right there, right? So that's helpful. But I think, and honestly, yeah, over the years, because, you know, depending on the artist you're working with or that, it, it might be like, they don't say very much. So you don't know if you're doing good or what, how they're feeling about it. And, or even your crew, like if you're a tour manager or a production manager, you don't really know. Like me personally, I'm like, I don't really know like what these people think of me. Do they think I'm doing good? Do they think I'm okay? Do they think I'm just barely cutting it? You don't really know. And then, so that is, you have to have some self-esteem to just trust yourself, you know, which I'm human. I struggle with that sometimes for sure of like, man, I think I'm just barely cutting it right now. But then something random will happen and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess I can do this okay. Or like somebody, somebody will say something, even in passing, that kind of reaffirms like you're doing a good job without them saying you're doing a good job, you know? So you, but yeah, you got to have a little bit of a thick skin and you kind of got to go in knowing that like, I'm going to do this and you might, other than a paycheck, you might not get much of a thanks. But like, if that's what you're here for, probably in the wrong industry. Totally. Totally. Oh, man. And at what point, I know at some point along the way, you've done production for not only corporate, obviously live music, but also the NFL, some halftime shows. Yeah, I've done a boatload of television stuff. Well, let me, let me I should preface it saying, I've all the television stuff I've done has been on the artist side, like coming in with an artist. I've never worked. Like, even though I lived in LA, I didn't do television or anything like that while I was there. So any of the the television stuff has been like, you know, with the band coming into like Fallon or whatever, doing a, a performance at night. So I've done a lot of that. So that's all whatever band I'm working for. It's all how hot they are at the moment. And if they get gigs on shows, you know, so I've do, I've do a lot of that over the years. The NFL stuff, same thing. I was, you know, I work with these uh, friends of mine who for a while were doing, they did a couple halftime, like NFL halftime shows, not like Super Bowl-y, obviously, stuff but uh like season you know regular season stuff and they just had a couple gigs and so i did you know they because you know that's more of a definitely more of a production manager production coordination thing that i'm not mixing that audio they have a, you know the stadiums and the teams have a big yeah they have their own teams so i would just come in and production coordinate the overall thing you know making sure the band had what they need and the team and, and the perform you know the the production side had what they need so very cool. And I, at that point in my career, I was like, yeah, just like, give me something different. I don't want to like something different than just a club, club, club show, you know, very fun. Sure. Any particular behind the scenes story or stories that might showcase some of those challenges that you faced and the creative solutions that you've been able to devise? Because I think that's another thing that very much gets overlooked from the production perspective is that, again, when things go right, nobody has any idea what is going on and behind the scenes 
whether it's the tour manager, front of house, whoever it is, who's putting out all the fires to make it so everything comes out flawless. So any of those stories I would love to hear. So last year, just last year, last summer, I was going overseas with an artist that I work with, still work with. And right before we were supposed to go, I got COVID for the first time. And I was like, it wasn't just like, I tested positive. I shouldn't go. It was like, man, I was down for the count. Like, I'm not, I'm not leaving that couch, let alone the house, let alone the country because we were leaving the country. So the band, the rest of the band and crew went over there. Uh, I came over a few days later in time for the first show. But then the night before the first gig, which was a festival in Belgium, my cargo person calls me up and says, hey, your gear's still in Minneapolis. <laughs> and so I was like, cool. <laughs> that was an insane fire to put out because I was still kind of feeling groggy from COVID. But like, you know, so we rented, you know, we rent some stuff like primarily drums and some keyboards, but everything else we were flying with. So like all our microphones, all most of our backline, our playback rig, other than, except for the the laptops themselves like I w- and I had like 12 hours and it was and it's saying 12 hours so that you know again there's a million intricacies of how it all went down but the long story short was like okay first of all tell the promoter like our stuff's not here we might not be able to do a show but then they're awesome and want the show to happen too so they're like cool what do you what do we need what can we do so they like helped us source a bunch of backline you know, they helped us source the stuff that we normally carry. I talked to every band member and every backline tech and said, okay, what do you need that we don't have now? Made a list of what and tried to get what we could from the promoter, found out a music store and went and just started buying cables and like interfaces and all kinds of stuff. And then pieced it together and the show happened and it was insane. And then about the time we started our show, the stuff showed up. So we didn't get to use it because it was on the dock while we were doing our show. It was just loading in. But I mean, the fact that it got from Minneapolis to, you know, to Belgium in 12 hours was pretty great. We got it and we had it for the rest of the shows. But that was definitely like, no. When I heard that news, I was like, no. Like this, this, why? Why me? Like I just got COVID and that messed me up and I was down for the count. And then like... Our entire show was just derailed. Right. I was like, literally, I was literally thinking, like, this might not happen. We oh might gosh. not be able to perform. Damn, that's but so brutal. With the right people and the right team, and the, and that's a good thing too. Is like, man, the, the crew you work with and tour with is make or break because they could have all complained and threw a fit, and no one did, and they just worked their butt off to like help me and the tour manager like nail it, and they did, and and also like in the band being willing to to roll with it, knowing like. At the end of the day, we'll do a show, but it's not going to be perfect. You know, and like, you know, like the guitar players, like, just give me a mute pedal and a tuner and like, we'll figure it out, you know, as opposed to, and, and some guys would just throw a fit and make, be like, it has to be everything I normally have, or it's not going to, it's like, you have to have people that are willing to, to roll with it in those situations. But that, I mean, that was a gnarly fire. <laughs> to put out. Yeah, that's brutal. I mean, that's that's something too that relates I think to the professionalism of the industry. Like when you are when you're touring at that caliber and you're on this world tour and it's, you know, you're funded, you're backed, you're doing the thing and you have a, you know, like you said, like if you had a guitar player who was that much of a diva who <laughs> mm-hmm. wouldn't perform without 
X, Y, and Z. I mean, that's insane. And I think it's also a testament to the amount of work, the time, the money, the effort that goes into being a musician of that caliber as well, to be able to truly, like you said, roll with those punches. Because a lot of folks, like they can only do what they know how to do under certain circumstances. And I would argue that the most professional people that are in the industry are the ones who were like, if they had no gear, they still would have figured out <laughs> how to put on a show. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I like to, I like to think that that's the case. You know, it's like the bells and whistles are cool, but can you do it when like shit hits a fan and you don't have what you normally have? Could you still perform? And these guys did an amazing job and that's helpful. And, and, you know, to your point, that's also like a bigger aspect of the industry and kind of what I really why I'm so big on professionalism is just like, yeah, like you can be a diva or throw a fit or, or not support your tour and production managers when they're under extreme pressure and then shit really hits a fan or you can, you know, you can be difficult or you can be like, this isn't their fault. And me, me throwing a fit and needing some, you know, whatever needing to do it my way or complaining because it's not perfect is not going to do anyone any good. So when you have a good crew that understands it and they're just pro and like, okay, this is a situation nobody wants to be in, but we're in it. So let's, how do we make the best of it? You know, so again, that's why I'm such a big advocate of professionalism industry in the industry now, because it's like that makes or breaks the whole thing. It can just be pleasant or you can be unpleasant. And we're always going to find ourselves in situations we don't want to be in, whether it's, you know, a, something simple like raining at loadout or the fact that your gear is halfway around the world and you need it now. They're all fires to put out. Some of them are just worse than others. And it's like even something as simple as rain at loadout. Yeah, that sucks. I don't want to deal with it, but I'm not changing. We're not changing mother nature. So let's figure it out and just do it, you know, because we can stand here and whine about it or we can just get it over with and then go take a hot shower and be happy, you know. Your newly published book, The Efficient Hustle, emphasizes professionalism and efficiency, obviously both of which we've spoken about in the industry. Could you highlight a specific principle or mindset from the book that aspiring tour managers or production managers can really adopt to set themselves apart from their peers? Cool. Well, yeah, I mean, I think you said it. It's, you know, I guess our conversation is leading right into it is first and foremost, the professionalism of it all. You know, and and what I say in the book is like, you don't have to be a seasoned veteran to be a professional. It's all about how you carry carry yourself. Like you could be a brand new tour or production manager. And if you carry yourself well in general, you know, but also when things get gnarly, you don't freak out and you just like keep a cool head. You don't have to be a seasoned veteran to do that. You just have to like keep a, a good demeanor. And again, like that, that spreads. And if you're the leader, whether you're a tour or production manager, you're leading a crew, you're leading a group of people, the professionalism sets the tone for the day. And like, are you going to walk in and, and, and are the local crew and, and, you know, are they going to appreciate you when you walk out at the end of the day or not? And so like, I'm again, I'll kind of, you know, going back to a few things in this conversation, it's like professionalism is such a big deal, even in the rock and roll world, even in the, you know, the live industry. And then of course, efficiency, which I think lends itself to professionalism, you know, a lot of the stuff I talk about in the book is efficiency in all aspects. Like 
totally. simply sending a, an advance email, like mm-hmm. make it short and sweet, like efficient. Like no one, if someone opens a, an email that's a long as a book, they're going to be like, <laughs> no, like I don't have that kind of time. <laughs> right. But if they open it up, it's like neat and clean bullet points, get your point across. You're going to get, it's going to make your life easier because they're going to see it and actually respond to it. And then you can go on with your day. And so efficiency is, comes in a million different ways, whether it's how each of us manage our time throughout the day, you know, developing consistencies in our workflow, consistencies in our day-to-day schedule. So, you know, some things are almost muscle memory and you don't even have to think about it. So we can, A, get the job done quicker and everyone has more time to eat lunch. And But also you can step outside and get some fresh air and make a phone call and call home or go get good coffee or whatever. Could you kind of paint the picture a little bit in essentially, you know, day in the life of whether you're production managing, front of house, TMing, a culmination of, of, of all of the above, what that looks like, you know, you pull up to a venue at what time you're on a bus and then everyone, basically you open your eyes and then everyone is just asking you a million questions. <laughs> yeah. So that all varies. Obviously it can vary significantly depending on the type of tour you're on. I know I, I kind of put the basis of it in a lot of the stories in my book or, you know, I focus it on like band in a van, like a 15 passenger van pulling a trailer up to kind of like a bus in a trailer kind of tour. So, you know, you figure those tours show up and uh, if you're in a van, you're driving in the morning. So you might show up at noon or one and start loading in right away. If you're on a bus, you'll drive overnight and wake up at the venue and, you know, still probably load in sometime between 11 and 1. And then you're kind of off and running for the day. You load in, you set up, regardless of what your position is. You know, you're you're helping on some level. Even, you know, the merch person might drop all their stuff and, and go get coffee and come back. But everyone's kind of working. So, you know, you figure 11 to 1, somewhere in that ballpark, you're starting your day. And load in, set up. By the time you're feeling good, doors open, crowd comes in, show done by 10.30-ish, and then reverse order, load it out, and load a trailer full of gear. In general, you're you're 12-hour days for sure. And if you're a band in a van, you're add, you know, four to six, Six eight hours hours of driving on there, (laughs) you know? Like, I've I've been in a van at all times of day and night and all weather and temperatures, freezing, bouncing around some bumpy road. For sure. You don't sleep well. You know, and then you get into a bus and you sleep better maybe, but like there's that has its, that comes with its own thing too. So I guess to to answer your initial question, yeah, it's like, regardless of what your position is, you're working probably a 12 hour day. And then the only difference, you know, if you're a tour production manager, your workload is significantly heavier and there's not really a, a minute off, you know, even days. I always say when you're a TM or a PM, you don't have days off. There's just show days and non-show days because a day off is in a hotel or a coffee shop or something with probably a good six to eight hours of, of work. And that's not even, you know, if you're, yeah, even if you're a pro and efficient, like it, the workload is just there, even in a, a small tour, like there's a lot of work to get even five people in a van around the country, you know, it's a lot. So long days for sure. You know, now if you're lucky and you know, maybe you're just a backline guy or something, your days off are your days off and you can go explore the city and stuff. So that's where it varies more for sure. Especially even from a, from a concert goer perspective, I, I would argue most folks have no idea what is happening before that, 
musician hits the stage, especially like if it's an opener and you're, you just drove eight hours, you got there, you loaded in all of your stuff, you hit the stage, you're performing, you're like, you know, you're 10 out of 10 of adrenaline. And then post-show, it's like, (laughs) what the hell just happened? You know, I woke up at 6am in a city that was eight hours away (laughs) and now I'm here. And, you know, so when people are, you know, especially when it comes to like merch sales and everything else, it's just so important to support whether it's openers or just acts in general, because there's so many intricacies to your point that go into touring all of the equipment, all of the production, all of the crew, all of the expenses. And, you know, it's just, it's brutal. <laughs> You're right. And and most people don't know or understand that. And that's cool because, you know, you don't want them to see behind the curtain, right? Like they, I just want them to come and enjoy and be like, that was amazing. Walk out, you know, but it's cool to know. And it's cool to be recognized. Of course, you know, it's because there is a lot and a lot of people where they might not know and they might have no interest in the industry, but they want to know because it's cool. It's, you know, let's be honest for most people, it's pretty foreign, like you said. And, and so honestly, that's part of what was the point of my book is like, you know, I made, I initially wrote the book as a kind of how to, for young tour production managers, like either aspiring or, you know, maybe they're doing it. They've been doing it for a little while. They want to take the next step and get better and be more pro and more efficient. But I also wrote a lot of, you know, I include a lot, you know, there's a whole storyline in the book about a big tour I did in 2012 because I didn't want it to be just a textbook. And I wanted to be, you know, I want people that maybe aren't, have no desire to even be in the industry to just there, but they're interested, they're interested in what we do. And so like, I wanted to kind of tell that story too. And like, what's it take to get a band around the world? Because, you know, as someone in the industry, you get asked a lot of questions by people who aren't in the industry who they don't want to be in it, but they want to know what's going on and what it's like. And like, what do you do when you go overseas? Like, you know, how do you get your gear there? Or how do you get there? How does the band get there? And like, what do you do when you show up and they don't speak English? You know, you get asked a lot of questions over the years. And so by doing it for so long, we kind of forget like, at some point it becomes second nature for us, but it's not for everyone. And, and they, and they're curious. So that was part of my intention with the book is like, I want to explain to other people that have no, no idea what it's like that, but that kind of give them the opportunity to look behind the curtains. Like, Oh man, that's cool. Like, that's how that works. You know what I mean? So, you know, young tour and production managers can, can learn and get better, but also people can be like, Oh, cool. Like that's, I've always wondered how that works. And now they know, you know, Beyond your accomplishments in live production, I know you also have a passion for flying, which is insane and so cool. How does how does that sense of freedom and adventure that you experience, presumably while you're flying, translate into your creative work? And are there any are there any parallels between piloting and orchestrating a successful production? Yeah. Well, I think to the freedom part of it, I mean I was literally just journaling this morning and I wrote in there randomly, like the fact that, you know, I want to go flying next week and I might bring a friend or I might just go by myself. And it, it never, that never gets old to me. The ability to say, I might just go fly a plane by myself because, you know, any pilot as they're learning, like the goal is to get to that first solo, like your first time you ever fly by yourself. And then that's an amazing thing. And then you get your pilot sizes and, you can do your first solo every time you can fly every, just go do anything you want at any time. And that's, 
that never gets old. And I love that aspect of it. And just the ability to be like, I want to go fly a plane today. I'm going to bounce around wherever. So, you know, I love that aspect of it. And then I think the parallels for me specifically as a product manager is just like, you know, flying, whether you're flying a single engine aircraft or all the way up to like commercial flight is like, it's very regimented. There's checklists for everything. And, you know, there's checklists, there's efficiencies, et cetera. You know, as a production manager, I was just like my wheelhouse. You know, I like, I love the checklist. I love the, the, uh, the routine of it all. Like you get it, you use checklists and routines so you don't forget anything. So you're always safe as possible, you know, stuff like that. And that is a direct correlation between tour and production management versus being a pilot. It's just like the routine and the structure and the like, don't break structure, you know, like on, on the, on a tour, you want to keep, keep this routine as much as possible for many reasons you know, whether it's to make efficiencies in your day and make every, keep everybody happy or whatever and make sure nothing falls through the cracks. And, you know, similar with being a pilot, it's like you're doing it first and foremost to make sure you're safe. So you don't forget something and nothing goes on, you know, slips through the cracks, but also like efficiencies in fuel, like you, you know, air, airplane fuel is super expensive. So you want to be efficient there. And so it's, there's so many parallels that you would think of between the two, but yeah, yeah, flying, flying something special. I love that. I love that. And before I let you go, I do a couple more questions. But first one being, are there any key lessons that you've learned along the way that you wish you knew when you first began? I mean, I think just as like on a personal thing, I wish I would have documented more as far as like what venue and what city so I could truly say how many different venues I've played slash cities I've been actual cities I've been to and how many shows I've done. Like, I don't really know, probably a few thousand, but I have no idea. And honestly, like venue, like that would be cool just on a personal level, but as a professional, as a production manager, you know, I think I wish I would have gotten into the habit earlier of, well, a few things, but I think I wish I would have gotten into the habit earlier of really trying to be professional and like, uh, you know, cause back when I started, I was just like being an audio guy and just like having fun. And, you know, not, not that I wasn't taking it serious. Cause I absolutely was, I always have, but just to like, maybe, which I guess this leads into my other thing. I wish I would have known of just like, I should have been more proactive about climbing the ladder and getting, you know, furthering my career quicker. I was kind of just letting things ride and be like, Oh, well, I'm working with these guys and it's fun and it's great. And then I would get the next team and be like, okay, well I'm touring with this band and that's cool. And, my rent's paid for the year, so I'm good, but I should have, I, I would I think I would just rather have been more proactive about trying to find gigs and climb the ladder a little quicker because I think I would have gotten farther and further before I burned out, before the burnout set in, you know, because now it's like, I'm at a point, the point that I was trying to get to for years and I'm kind of, it's, I'm kind of crusty and burnout, you know? So I don't want to do yes. it as much. I still love I it, but I don't want to do it as much. And so I'm like, <laughs> right. oh, wow, you tried so hard to get here. Now I get here and I just want to chill out and stay totally. home and ride bikes and fly airplanes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it makes sense. It all tracks. It all tracks. And now my, my last question, two parts. What is the worst piece of advice that you've ever gotten? And of course, to land the plane on a high note, what's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Uh, I think not necessarily advice, but a comment is like, after I got out of audio school, I went back home and, you know, lived at home for uh, 10 months. It's like, okay. I, Cause again, I'm from the Midwest and from Iowa that I didn't exist. There wasn't a lot of anything of what I was trying to do in my hometown, let alone 
Iowa in general. So I had to work for it. So I went back home, kind of regroup. And I think, you know, the not so much necessarily advice, but the comment was, is like, you're never going to leave. You're going to go there. You're going to go home and you're not going to do it. And slash, you know, I, when I did go home, you know, I was doing some interning, like I said, but I was like, I worked in a factory and I was just saving up money. So when I went, did where I was going to do next, I had money in the bank and, you know, people there would be like, oh yeah, you're, you're here, you're a lifer, you're going to be here forever. (laughs) And then when I did decide to leave, they're like, you'll be back. And all of that was just fuel. Like, so I think that was terrible advice. It's just like, don't like, don't how uninspiring dude like thanks right. <laughs> like no, so true. i think that's terrible you know a form of advice is like like don't even don't count me out before i've tried like i can go home and then leave again i was there when i left the first time so i think that that is like pretty bad advice to, to give anyone of like discourage anything to discourage them on that note it kind of also ties into what i would consider the best piece of advice which again, not so much advice, but a comment. And it was when I was in audio school and I took this, uh, you know, cause we had certain non audio related classes. We had to take like music theory and whatever. And I was taking this business class, music business class, which was amazing. But the teacher, like super hard teacher. And at the beginning, like first class, whatever of that, of that class, he was like, yeah, I don't really give out many A's. I don't really, you know, and I was just like, again, first of all, I was like, why would you say that? But then I was like, all right, challenge accepted. You know, like, you know, no A's, huh? We'll see about that. And I worked my butt off. And it, he said it for a reason. He was a very hard teacher. But he was, it was one of those things like he was very hard for all the right reasons. Like, he didn't want people to come in there and screw off. Like, you're here to learn. You're going to, the only way to learn is work really hard. And so I say it's the best piece of advice because, you know, he challenged us you know, in an indirect way by saying, I don't give out A's. And so that's, if you're in the right mindset, that's a challenge of like, okay, then I'm going to get an A. And I worked my butt off and I, you know, because his, his class was hard. So you had to work extra hard to get good grades in that class. And I worked so hard, but, and I did get an A and I was like one of three people in the class who got an A. So he was right as well. He didn't give many A's because he was so hard, but like I learned, you know, by that point I already had a pretty good like study habits and stuff, but I learned to double down on study habits. I learned, I learned a lot about the music industry, the music business part of it, because that's what the class was. And I just learned that like, Oh, if you work really hard, you get, you can get good results. And I think that has stuck with me forever. You know, it's just like, and I think, you know, it's why I'm a pilot. It's why I wrote a book. It's because like, because of, people like that, that are like, that prove to you, like, if you work really hard, you can get what you want. That's a good reminder. That's a good reminder for sure. Uh, I love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing all that you've shared today. I super appreciate it. And I'm stoked for everyone to read your book. I'm excited to read your book. Yeah. Check it out. The Efficient Hustle. My website is theefficienthustle.com, which there's everything you need to know about me. And I, I do a lot of cool industry related blogs and stuff like that. But of course there's a one page on the website dedicated to the book, which you can find it and buy it and all that. All the things. All, all the, things. the things. Yeah. But I'm very excited. Amazing. I, I, I'm, I'm really trying to do my part to, you know, hopefully help a lot of people, but also make the industry a better world and a more professional place to work. Exactly. That's what we need. So much appreciated. Luke, thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to Learning with Learner and hearing the wisdom, stories, and ideas that will have you feeling inspired and ready to take on the world. If you've enjoyed this, please remember to share, rate, and review. It means the world to me and the team putting it all together. If you're looking for more information, you can find me at lindsaylearner.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-L-E-R-N-E-R.com. Or if you've got any questions or curiosity about me, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Lindsay Learner. Thanks again for listening and have an awesome day.